You're listening to the Revision Path Podcast, a weekly showcase of the world's black graphic designers, web designers, and web developers. Through in-depth interviews, you'll learn about their work, their goals, and what inspires them as creative individuals. Here's your host, Maurice Cherry. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Revision Path. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'm your host, Maurice Cherry. This is a special bonus episode about the design of Black Panther Wakanda Forever. Remember when the first Black Panther movie came out back in 2018? We did an episode then, you can check the link in the show notes, and I knew that we had to dive into this movie and talk about the music, the art, and the symbolism of it all. Actually, that 2018 bonus episode on Black Panther that we did, it's in the Smithsonian's permanent archives for the National Museum of African American History and Culture. So you know what? You can check it out there as well. In the meantime, settle in for a panel discussion on Black Panther Wakanda Forever with myself, as well as some past guests from Revision Path, Regine Gilbert, Jordan Green, and Paul Webb. Let's start the show. All right, I am so excited to have all of you back again for this conversation around Black Panther Wakanda Forever. The first conversation that we had was literally historic. You can go listen to it in the Smithsonian's permanent archives. But uh, before we really jump into this, I want everyone to introduce themselves, starting off with Regine. Hello, everyone. I'm Regine Gilbert. I'm an industry assistant professor at New York University, and I am uh, living in Brooklyn. Jordan? Yeah. Hey, my name is Jordan Green. I'm out here in Seattle, Washington. Uh, I work for Boeing in the virtual airplane program as a UX designer. And Paul. I am Paul Webb, uh, designer, developer. I just like making stuff. Currently residing in Cupertino, California. And y'all know me by this point, but if not, I'm Maurice Cherry. I'm the founder and host of Revision Path. So let's talk about this movie. And I would say to anyone listening by this point, we're spoiling the whole movie. So if you have not seen the movie yet, you may want to see it before you listen to this episode. Uh, if you haven't seen it and you still want to listen, it's totally up to you, but we're spoiling the entire movie. So let's uh, go ahead and jump into the the plot. And I want to give a rundown of the plot and, you know, I want us to go over it uh, before we really kind of get into the deeper meanings and symbolism and things that we all experience in the movie. But uh, let's kind of start off with where the movie starts. It takes place. I think it jumps right into the, kind of big elephant in the room, which is the death of T'Challa. Um, yeah. One thing I thought that was interesting is how both of the Black Panther movies begin with the death. Uh, the first movie mm. begins with the death of T'Challa's father, King T'Chaka. And then now we're sort of thrust into what almost seems like an emergency room type situation with Shuri kind of drastically trying to synthesize something to save her brother T'Challa who passes away. So the movie already knows that we, the viewing public know that T'Challa is dead. And of course the uh, actor who played him, Chadwick Boseman has also passed. And so we go right into it. What did y'all think about that? Tears were Uh, shed. Right. (laughs) Tears were shed in the theater. And what I felt from that moment was that it was a moment of silence for all of us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I really appreciate that um, 
like Ryan Coogler and the whole cast really captured the the chaoticness of the death. Just how sudden it feels, how gut-wrenching it feels, how heartbreaking it feels, right? It just it like that whole the whole opening scene was so masterfully done. And I think for me it like I think that's the best way you could handle an actor, especially an actor who was really carrying the film, right? Really carrying that franchise. Mm-hmm. That was the that was the that was his deal. Um that is the I think facing it head on and just like the powerlessness that all of the characters feel surround and then having that just be around the meta moment of the powerlessness that everyone felt around Chadwick Boseman's colon cancer. It was just, it, you know, I'm, I'm getting choked up just thinking about it right now. It just, and, and the, and I think the fact that they kind of, I mean, they even worked that sort of into the film, like to say that, I mean, and we hear this kind of, I think a bit later on from Nakia about how, you know, she knew, but he didn't like tell anybody, which of course also alludes to something mm-hmm. we find out near the end of the movie, which we'll get to in a bit, but um, very much similar to in real life where only the people that were really the closest to Chadwick knew of his illness. Mm-hmm. And so it takes place, you know, I, I think if people have watched this movie, they probably I'm sure have watched um, Avengers Endgame and all that stuff. Shuri was affected by the blip. She ended up coming back five years later. So the beginning of the movie is a little bit, I'm not really sure where it takes place in like the the whole MCU timeline, but it thrusts us right into this uh this uh I guess franticness of Shuri trying mm-hmm. to save T'Challa. And then of course you have the ensuing kind of uh, funeral procession afterwards with all the the whites and them going through uh, the sort of main thoroughfare in Wakanda. Um, and then it flashes to one year later. So I think it's yeah. interesting that the film doesn't try to sit in that for too long. Like it gets right to what we all know. And then it's like, yeah. and now here's sort of like the rest of the story. So it picks up uh, a year later. And what we know, I think certainly from the end of uh, the first Black Panther is that Wakanda is now open to the world in that not so much in a travel or trade or commerce sense, but its existence is now a known entity in the world. And so it's interesting how geopolitics is, is a big factor in the entire movie. You know, it opens up Wakanda's kind of been under pressure to share their resources with the rest of the world. And it's sort of through this address that Ramonda gives in this like really striking purple like regal outfit at the United Nations that she sort of gives this address. And we learn about these sort of outside factors that have been trying to usurp, you know, kind of Wakanda's natural resources. That's where we end up, of course, seeing mm-hmm. the Dora Milaje again. We get introduced to Aneka, who's played by Michaela Cole. And it sort of puts like there's almost like a target on Wakanda's back in a way because of uh of its resources, right? Mm-hmm. That was one of my favorite scenes. She was just like, <laughs> y'all trying to come for us? Hmm. Well, uh, we don't protect vibranium for fear of weaponry. We protect it for fear of you. Talking mm-hmm. to all the colonizers in the room, I was like, ooh, 
Oof. Sheesh. Right. And then made the mercenaries who tried to hijack one of their facilities do the perp walk into the UN. Man, <laughs> France was looking like, mm? and then she spoke in French to that woman like, yeah. well, yeah, and that that's one of the things, you know, when we think about the design of this and, and all the things in this movie being done by design, one of the things that I think is really important about this film is language. And the fact that mm-hmm. language was used in a way that someone's mother tongue was used with them, mm-hmm. right? So when they mm-hmm. brought those soldiers in mm-hmm. to that room... She didn't say in English. She spoke in French to the French French woman. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And throughout the movie, we saw the 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 transition of language so, so many times. And I think yeah. that's an important piece that that's that's by design in, throughout the movie. Yeah. There there was I I'm getting excited because I'm just like, there were so many great things that were done in that scene. Like the fact that, uh, the fact that, you know, it's Kugler's vision, but the fact that like the two countries that were pressuring Wakanda to share vibranium was France and the United States. The Mm -hmm. fact that France deployed its own troops locally to uh, the Wakandan embassy as an act of war was such a beautiful masterstroke of reflecting world politics. And it was just the, 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 you know, I know Maurice, you're doing the recount, but the fact that we end up going to Haiti like later. Right. And so Mm -hmm. you have this Mm -hmm. sort of like really interesting, um, in really beautiful way that Ryan Coogler is like, this is like the whole movie is just like, we going to make you sad. And also imperialism is the real enemy. Right. <laughs> and so like, the whole movie is this like this call, like this, this really literally a call and response of like, these are the world pressures pressuring this African nation to share the resources and not really talking about like, you know, France and, the United States and, you know, Britain really were mm-hmm. exploited the hell out of Africa. Right. And they really didn't touch on the Dutch or anything like that, but yeah. that was really great. The fact that they used, I don't know if anybody else picked up on this, but the fact that they used different colors to symbolize which language was being spoken. At yes. I love that. Yeah. I love that, that too. So beautiful. Right. And it was just such a beautiful uh, transition for you to know. And a, just a really wonderful way to tell the audience like, Oh, now in case you don't know, they're speaking Teclacan, right? In case you don't know, they're speaking Wakandan, all of the, and the, the heroes, were in yellow and blue. And then the white was for all of the colonizer places. It was just such mm-hmm. a beautiful, beautiful master stroke because they did that with Spanish and English. And it's just, mm-hmm. it was wonder, it was wonderful. I just thought that was such a nice touch. Yeah. I really love the way that language was so kind of fluid throughout the entire mm-hmm. movie. And, and like it, this sort of effortless switch between, like you said, English and there's French, there's Spanish, there's Wakandan, mm-hmm. there's, you know, the, 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 was it the Talokan language that they yeah, were speaking? Talokan, like yeah. all of that just kind of seamlessly going 
between different environments and different cultures and different sorts of parts of the movie. Um, mm-hmm. Since we're talking about the Talokan, that's sort of what we get to right after this scene is uh, the CIA is like trying to extract vibranium from the source. And then they mm. basically come across or, or they're ambushed by these, uh, these Talokan warriors. And what I thought was interesting, and I, I don't know if this, if any of y'all caught this, but like the, this sort of siren song that the yes. Talokan did that sort of took over everyone to the point where they're like walking and jumping into the sea, which is, I guess, sort of like a, an allusion to Greek mythology of the siren, mm-hmm. but, uh, they have the same sort of like almost bird-like chirping kind of thing that they're doing, but it's luring people into the sea. They end up sort of taking over this like aircraft carrier almost and like, you know, mm-hmm. killing almost everyone and really sort of sending the message that like, don't, don't fuck with us essentially. <laughs> you know? Yeah. 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 No, that was, I mean, ugh. the appearance of the, the teleconers just first of all like i don't i don't know how everybody else feels but as um i have so much love for ryan coogler uh one because he is clear like for me as someone from san francisco he is clearly from oakland like he's clearly from the bay right Mm -hmm. and the way that he had the regalia of all of the like mesoamerican folks and i think it's mayan but i you know, I don't want to step out of turn, but people have been using Mayan and Aztec interchangeably. And I know that's a faux pas, but um, I think it's Mayan that he based all of the regalia off of. And that is what all of the folks who are in Teclacan wearing, right? They're just like, yeah, they're wearing these indigenous outfits that are very true to like, and it, it's, I, I loved I love the fact that they're wearing these beautiful crowns of feathers and things like that. Like I remember seeing folks like dancers in the bay wear those things. And so it's it's beautiful to see that represented that kind of indigeneity. And then to like to to have both um tele- the telecon and Wakanda connected through um through vibranium. And like have that be the thing that sort of connects these two indigenous cultures that were able to protect themselves from like outside forces of invaders through literally something from outside of the planet, giving them sort of powers to protect themselves from colonization. That, I mean, I just thought that was such a beautiful tie into both ways and like, just having that be the the thread was just wonderful. Yeah. The thing with, with, uh, and we'll get of course later to, uh, Namor and, and, uh, the Talokan and all of that. But like, I, I do get that. I think it was mostly, it's mostly Mayan, but it's, I, I remember Sir, um, Shuri mentioning it as like Mesoamerican. So I think it's, it's mostly Mayan because the initial yeah. sort of point where they went down to the Talakan was the Yucatan Peninsula, which is Mayan, even like that sort of like steep pyramid, like terrace pyramid that you saw in the background with Nakia. Um, mm-hmm. That's clearly Mayan, but right. I feel like there's also maybe some, some Aztec elements in it. There's like some Incan elements. I mean, that's all sort of like central America, central Mexico, South America, 
Um, I feel like it's a good mix of that, but it is, I feel probably mostly Mayan. Um, it's interesting that when Namor is kind of giving his, uh, his backstory, and this is a little bit later in the film when he's explaining this, uh, to Shuri, how like he ends up coming to the surface, uh, and sees all the like Spanish conquistadors, like the Spanish conquistadors mm-hmm. wiped out the Incans, wiped out the Aztecs. I think there's still millions of like surviving descendants of the Mayan civilization. So they didn't completely mm-hmm. wipe them out. Um, mm-hmm. But I do like that they managed to show that portion of history as part mm-hmm. of all of this. And how he got his name in that moment too. Uh-huh. Like, huh, my enemies just like this dying terrible person just said i'm born of no love man i'll take it right no more yeah yeah it's no longer namor they they <laughs> they're like oh y'all gonna mm-hmm. roll your r when you say that <laughs> right sin amor is, is where it where it ended up uh ended yeah. up coming from yeah and it's, it's interesting so i mean that sort of plays on something that the mcu has been i feel like they've been doing in this phase where the names are coming from like the, the people themselves mm-hmm. aren't coming up with the names. The names are almost like bestowed upon them. Mm-hmm. Like even mm-hmm. when, uh, when we get to the point in the movie and this is right after the attack, when Namor ends up confronting Ramonda and Shuri right before Ramonda is about to tell T'Challa's secret, which again, we find out at the end of the movie, but right mm-hmm. as Ramonda, I feel like is about to tell that they meet Namor and Namor is like, you know, my, my people call me Kukul Khan, but my my enemies call me Namor. You know, yeah. I thought that was dope. Yeah, yeah. Oh man! Uh. <laughs> I mean, so many. The, the first of all, the, those feathers. <laughs> yes. Talk about it. Just coming out, you know, coming out, and just seeing those feathers. And to me, what I something I noticed that I really don't ever pay attention to was the lighting all throughout the movie mm-hmm. was there was something about the way that folks were lit that made you you know really draw your attention to them which I don't really notice in other films but I re- I really noticed the light and how the light would hit people on the side of the face or the the light would hit through the costumes or you know, the light would, would focus in on certain aspects of things that made you pay attention to that thing. Right. Yeah. 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 That, I mean, it was beautifully shot. I really liked the way that they did lighting underwater. Um, I, building on your point, I, I, the scene where Angela Bassett is underneath the water, um, that, that was beautiful. Like I have never seen Angela Bassett so beautifully lit before. And that was just like, Whoa, like, <laughs> okay. Mm-hmm. Well, you're, I'm not sure if the technology is getting better or if people got better access to like knowing <laughs> how to shoot different light, like I just different folks with different skin tones, but whew, like, yeah, the, the way that they, you know, Regine, when you, Regine, when you're talking about like the way that they, lit the the folks from Telecon was like it it they were always shot it would almost look like they were almost always this ethereal underwater you know mm-hmm. yeah and i just that was just so that's so wonderful i mean shout out to all the visual artists that worked on this film <laughs> 
Absolutely. I, I mean, oh, I stayed yeah. at because I like to stay after yeah. and look to see all the credits. And I'm like, look at all those visual yeah. artists that worked yeah. on this film. It's so, it's so funny you mentioned that. I was in the theater and I'm looking at the credits and I'm, and I guess because I've been doing this show for this long, I'm recognizing names. I'm like, wait a mm-hmm. minute. That's that's Nicholas Smith. He's an illustrator. I know him. Wait, this is um, Handel Eugene, who I've had on the show before, who's done work okay. for other Marvel movies. I'm like, this is so dope. I'm <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, speaking of the end credits. I'm so glad they got Ruth Carter like front and center because she put her foot in it again. Like, yeah. Can we just talk about Angela Bat? Every outfit that Angela Bassett yes. wore. Yes. Was I mean I'm thinking about the one that that silver it was like a silver gray outfit that she had her one shoulder out uh-huh. uh, the purple the the adornments all the adornment pieces that were added mm-hmm. to the dresses and I mean we haven't even started in our Shuri's amazing um, and that was in partnership uh, Ruth Carter did partnership with Adidas I believe. Right. Yes. Yes. And so I, yeah, we could, I mean, can we talk about that? I don't know, Maurice. I mean, yeah, yeah, we'll we'll get to, I want to, I want to, I want to get to the, isn't Regine the fashion expert on the panel? Like, come on. Oh yes. We will, we will get, we'll get to all of that. So uh, since you talked about Shuri, um, to get back to the plot. So we're at the point now where Namor has confronted Ramonda and Shuri and has kind of set up this almost secondary conflict of the movie, which is, uh, find the scientist that was responsible for that machine that the Talokan mm-hmm. destroyed that could detect vibranium and kill them. If they don't kill the scientists, then Talokan is going to invade Wakanda. And so mm-hmm. Shuri and Okoye have to, uh, they use Everett Ross to sort of find out who the scientist is. They meet the scientist at MIT. It's Riri Williams, who uh, mm-hmm. of course I'm sure later, I think she has, she's going to have a, a Disney plus series next year, I believe probably. Yes. And so we get introduced to Riri Williams, who is this, well, they don't call her Ironheart in the, in the film, but yeah, it is Mm -hmm. Ironheart from the comic books. Um, So we, we meet Riri, who is also like this technological genius, young black woman, younger than Shuri actually. Um, Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. then it sort of takes place with this chase because the FBI is kind of, closed in on them and then there's like this this like epic chase scene throughout boston um and it ends up with both shuri and uh riri being captured by the talokan and okoye Mm -hmm. ends up getting defeated uh what did you all think about that part of the movie that that part really to me kind of set things off in terms of like where is the plot going to go from here well, my mm. favorite part was the banter between Okoye and Riri and like Riri, Riri saying she had an ashy head and they were yeah. going back and forth and <laughs> she was like, get out of my room. And then she just brought out the like spear and she was like, oh, hey, oh, hey. you brought in a spear into my door room. Yeah. Like she was just yeah. freaking like that looks so realistic and I, it was mm-hmm. hilarious at the same time. I was just like, "This is this is hilarious." They did have. What did she call her? Small, small girl. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's right. <laughs> she called her small, small girl, which was just like, "Whoa, okay." And then her facial expression afterward, as as Riri is holding a heater, as if, "What are you going to do with that heater?" 
Yeah. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I just sliced the. I sli- just sliced your Bluetooth speaker you just threw at me. Come on. Right. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> I mean the the <laughs> that whole so that whole scene. I mean because you know like that. <laughs> I just I'm cracking up at the whole thing because like the the lead up to that where, uh, you know, Shuri's in the lab. Shuri. So like after T'Challa dies, Shuri just buries herself in the work. Right. And it's Mm -hmm. one of those things that it's like I I saw myself reflected a lot in that moment, um, particularly when uh, when we're talking about like, how do you deal with death? How do you deal with uh, losing someone so close to you and Sherry is a it you know for me it was just like such an interesting thing because Sherry in the comics are so smart she's she's literally one of the smartest people on the face of the planet and um in the in the MCU she was like you know even when she was looking at vision when they brought her in to look at vision and like the the uh, the other Avengers movies, it was clear Shuri is like, this is the most ghetto thing I've ever seen. You got this man <laughs> up here stuck together with duct tape and bubble gum. Y'all couldn't uh, at least call me? You like That's how she is to Tony Stark. And so mm-hmm. it's like, you know, how does it feel when there was nothing you can do? Like, there, literally, there's you're the smartest, one of the smartest people in the world you you're a genius you could have figured it out if given enough time and you couldn't mm-hmm. you just it is so she just throws herself into work and she abandons all of her duties as like because she she is the she has to be the queen and of course ramonda steps up as queen mother right and she's like right. okay well my baby is grieving we're all grieving but someone's got to lead this country and someone's got to protect us and we're a monarchy so we're i'm gonna do the damn thing and that that play off of it and the the all three of the women okoye shuri and uh ramonda all of them sort of in this dance of like mean a delicate dance of maintaining wakanda Mm -hmm. and it yeah it was just such a brilliant moment and then to have Okoye be like, we got to get her out of this lab. <laughs> right. <laughs> and to have Ramonda be like, you better bring my baby back, you know. And, and she like, doesn't. And she doesn't, you know. And she doesn't. The scene after that, like, if that's not mm. for your consideration for an Academy Award, I don't know what Marvel mm. Studios is thinking because Man, Angela Bassett put her whole hurt. foot into that scene have I not suffered enough? And then strips Okoye Ooh. of her rank as general of the Dora Milaje. And I, I think it's that's an interesting set piece in the movie, not just mm-hmm. for the reasons of like, it's sort of, you know, almost like denature is one of the, the characters. Like Okoye in the first film is, of course, ever present as the general of the Dora Milaje. But like, it also indicates, you know, something that I think audiences may have muddied about the black panther from the first movie which is that the black panther being the the protector of wakanda and the person being the ruler of wakanda does not necessarily have to be the same person right Mm. it happened to be that case with t'chaka t'challa's father and it was the case with t'challa and of course Mm. since we're spoiling it it ends up being of shuri later in the film but it's at this point where like 
who is going to protect Wakanda? If the if the general of the Dora Milaje, who at this point is kind of the, I almost would say like the next in line in terms of protector mm-hmm. of Wakanda, can't even protect the the soon to be queen of the nation, mm-hmm. then like what's what's next? What's left? Mm-hmm. That was such a great great pivotal point in the movie. Yeah, God, that was yeah, that was. I mean, the 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 thing about the sorry i want to circle back to the ashy head because like it keeps being on my mind having the having having okoye and shuri shuri asking okoye asking shuri being like is it the is it matching the right skin tone and then fenty fenty got a plug and yeah fenty fenty 440 or something yeah something like that (laughs) yeah that's right <laughs> you know, and <laughs> and just like all of these ways in which like black women have to like be in consideration of like how they're appearing out in the world and just having that be naturally just part of these characters' lives. Like you can tell that this you can tell it was uh written by a black man or a black people, and you can tell that the black women got to like add in as well, right? Like this is an experience that we would have. Um also I just I love the looks that they had for, you know, Okoye and Shuri out in the world, you know, and mm-hmm. calling MIT a Wakandan primary school. Like <laughs> <laughs> Like, yeah, is the level that made me feel primitive, bro. Like, does that mean my <laughs> high school was a preschool? Like, damn. And I, I think what's D-U-B-M, also what's what's interesting, just dumb. And I'd, I'd say an interesting presentation, like fashion wise, is like you know, in the first movie when Okoye when they're in South in uh, South Korea, Okoye has to like mm-hmm. wear this certain dress and this wig. Mm-hmm. And like you can tell this time, I guess because now Wakanda's open to the world, like she just has on a blazer mm-hmm. over whatever her Dora Milaje esque yeah. sort of like bodysuit is, you know, yeah. which I thought mm-hmm. was really interesting. Mm-hmm. What about the bridge yeah. scene? We haven't talked about that. When they're the on bridge the bridge. Scene. Right before I, tri- they get taken. Yeah. I was holding my breath. I was like, just yeah. get up, get up get up yeah yeah though i mean that's it's <laughs> i was just like it's hard for me to watch that scene because you don't you kind of don't know who to root for right because like that um that the the general of telecon is like doing the damn thing yeah um, I, his I was, name's tuma tuma yeah a, a tuma yeah a tuma yeah uh yeah, Atuma, I was just, and like, on a real, like, for me, like, Atuma being the first, like, that was the first person you see that's like, heavy set and like, bare chested in any Marvel movie that I've ever seen, like, Hollywood heavy set, you know, dude mm-hmm. is still stocky, mm-hmm. I'm still sturdy. Um, it was just like, I was really, I, they were trying to present him as a villain, but the more and more you learn about the why they're doing what they're doing like it's you can't see them as a villain they're literally just trying to protect their people and so i was just like and at the same time i was like uh y'all gonna tell me okoye can't kick this dude's butt (laughs) 
Yeah. Right. Well, when when he kicked her spear to yes. her, yeah, as yeah. A, to say, "Come on, let's keep going." Uh huh. Yes. Right. And and yeah. interestingly, like you know, him and Okoye are kind of peers in a way. Like they're both sort mm-hmm. of the like main warriors of their individual cultures. So like mm-hmm. them going head to head was really sort of like a, a a clash of peers in a way. Mm-hmm. And plus, when they meet later, it's kind of like she sees him and goes, warrior! And they have that like mutual respect. Like, I don't mm-hmm. like you, but I'm coming for you. But I kind of respect you like a lot because you're my equal. Like, they finally found that equal. So that's... Yeah. I, I I found that very uh, pleasant to watch. Yeah, and Namora is the one with the feathers. Yeah, yeah, she Namora, has like these yeah. like right almost Which... like lion esque kind of feathers, like lionfish mm-hmm. kind of feathers for her. Uh, sort of like headdress, I guess, is what you would call mm-hmm. that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Beautiful. Yeah, I really wanted them to. I mean, I know we only had you know we only had so much time, and two hours and forty minutes is not enough. To- everything but i really if there was one thing i guess i really wish we saw was more of nomura like i wish we understood and i wish we understood more of her um Mm -hmm. and her motivations but uh, you know it it is what it is and i'm not i'm not mad at it but it was just like she was equally like a powerful woman right and like mm-hmm. i think that if we could do something else it's like seeing um indigenous women of all different backgrounds being powerful and like being complex characters that would be like the next thing that i would want to see right is like that because it would have been even cooler if namora was the one going up against <laughs> you know going up against Sequoia. but i'm not sure what they got in store for her and yeah the MCU. yeah and and that was a, a, another place where language, you know, um, the Gria was translating for Shuri mm-hmm. to say, you know, don't don't kill her, mm-hmm. take right. me, you know, mm-hmm. take me, and they obliged. So it's mm-hmm. this. It's I think throughout the movie we we were like, do we hate them? Do we like them? Right? <laughs> are we are are we rooting for them? Are we who you know it was for me a back and forth like i i feel for you but i don't want to because i don't like what you did you know it was a back and Mm -hmm. forth and their whole world is beautiful too like yeah just built on the same base uh stone and Mm -hmm. creating this like architectural marble like bringing the sun to his people that that Ooh. line and the, just just seeing that palace, I don't, I don't even know what you would call that. Some right. like underwater architectural marble that mm-hmm. that gave me chills, and I, I was just like, ah, I like him. He's like, <laughs> damn, yeah. So like at at this part in the movie, we sort of see this split. Like what you're talking about is when like. Uh, they end up taking Shuri and Riri down to Talokan. Um, and then Shuri gets to see Namor's kingdom for her own eyes. And I'm pretty sure by seeing that she saw in that protector role, 
the same thing mm-hmm. that she saw in her brother. Like, I see that mm-hmm. you're someone that is trying to protect your civilization, protect your people. Um, and then on the other end, you see Ramonda, who is just concerned about getting Shuri back. And so Ramonda ends up going to Haiti. I'm glad they called it Haiti and didn't just say Haiti. So they go to, mm-hmm. so uh, Ramonda goes to Haiti, um, meets up with Nakia and asks her to retrieve Shuri, which ends up mm-hmm. happening um, kind of, it, it's, it happens at an interesting time because you start to feel at least from Shuri's standpoint down in Talokan that like they're starting to come to some sort of understanding and agreement. Mm-hmm. And in this case, Wakanda sort of forces the hand of the Talokan by basically rescuing Shuri and Riri and kind of bringing them back to the surface world. And killing some people in the process. That okay, that part right. right there was just like, ah, if okay, only you didn't right. do that. I see. Okay. Here's the thing though. Like y'all couldn't let Shuri call Ramonda and just let her know she all right. Like, you know what I mean? Like, that's my thing. Y'all got all oh, this advanced yeah. technology and y'all can't just, you know, send a text message. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Y'all well, can't. Y'all, yeah, how you gonna steal a black woman's child? Bead earrings. Right. She got the Kamoyo yeah. bead earrings down there. They got the sun underwater. You telling me y'all couldn't just, you know, <laughs> y'all didn't have no way of communicating? Okay. Right. Okay. I mean, right? they had a conch shell, but I mean, you gotta blow into <laughs> it and throw it in the ocean. You couldn't send like a SOS through the conch shell or something. You know, you could have there. There was that's not a plot hole for me. (laughs) It's more like I don't know if anybody's hand was forced because like uh, Namor up here forgetting, you know, kind of like kind of forgetting basic etiquette. You know what I'm saying? Like, oh, yeah, we got Mm -hmm. the princess. She's doing a diplomatic tour of our country. She'll come back. Don't don't trip. Right. Mm-hmm. But you show up on somebody, you show up at somebody's house, threaten them, and then all of a sudden they baby go missing and they know that they in your hood. Oh, yeah, we're going to send somebody. Like, I was just yeah. like that mm-hmm. was, that was, if there was one big mistake, that was it for me. It was yeah. like, y'all could have just been communicating more. If y'all had just been like establishing some communication and trying to do some trust, but you know, Namor is arrogant. Like, in the comics, he's just, like, the most arrogant son of a person you've ever met, right? (laughs) Well, when you put it like that, he has been alive since, like, what, 1471? Yeah, he should know know better. (laughs) Like, yeah, he he definitely knew, but maybe he just has not gone out that much in centuries. I don't know. Okay. 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 <laughs> and the, the 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 cave where they were holding them right. was so beautiful to me. I thought, what you know, the again going back to the lighting and the and the and and setting a mood. Right. That seemed like a very, although they were being held captive, it was still a welcoming place. Yeah. And again, mm-hmm. there's this duality throughout the film of like, do we do we want it? They shouldn't really be there, but it's okay. And then getting to go and see the city, <laughs> you know, obviously after putting yeah. on a, well, I mean, 
Yeah, well, after getting the, you yeah. got to put on the 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 suit, otherwise, <laughs> you know, your bones will break because of all the pressure from the wa- water. You know, so uh, yeah, that 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 cave was just so beautiful. Yeah, it it was really beautiful. It's also like, uh, you know, I think one thing that um, was really clear to me was like the the humanity of your enemy is still in consideration right which is something that we Mm -hmm. don't really see in a lot of other like non like for me this was a lot like i saw a lot of threads of indigeneity i saw a lot of threads of like uh the 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 basic humanity of a person is still considered like we're not you're a prisoner but we're not going to like torture you we're gonna make sure you get some are you hungry like have you eaten you know well and, and also there's, there's a there's a mutual yeah. respect like the talakan right. brings shuri a garment befitting of royalty right like she's yeah. not in any sort of like prisoner garb or anything they're like we we see you we see yeah. you we know who you are we know what this is like the talakans are treating shuri and i guess riri by by proxy like with a level of respect and humanity that yeah. quite frankly you don't see on the surface world towards black people or toward any like really any indigenous person like i would make the argument that like you know if we're sort of really looking at this with a little bit of a political lens like i don't know if like if shuri was captured by france or russia or you know any of those nations that have been colonizing nations if we would be seeing this kind of treatment, right? Mm-hmm. Especially Black women, especially other women of color. And Riri being kept alive and safe and whole, you know? Um, that whole scene where, like, they bring her, uh, Shuri the dress, and Riri was like, don't put that on, because you know what happens in these white films when mm-hmm. you put that dress on. And ha- not having that happen to Shuri, right? Not having... Um, Telecon try to like, or like, sorry, uh, Nomura try to like force himself on her, or, like try to right. marry her, or anything like that. But just being like, I'm going to treat you like an equal. Yeah, he even he even you. gives her that that bracelet yeah. from his mother, yeah. which ends well, up becoming yeah. an important part throughout the near the end of the film. So yeah, as yeah. soon as that happened, I was like, wait. What did he there say that bracelet was was made with? Okay, <laughs> yeah. so this is how we're going to get the Black Panther back. Like I knew it. I was just like, "Ooh, yeah. I can't wait for this part." Yeah. So Nakia helps Shuri and Riri escape, and then Namor and the Talokans completely retaliate against Wakanda. And I like that they did it in this almost like river market type of setting because that's not something mm-hmm. that we really saw in the first movie. We saw these sort of grand like almost drone shot, like overhead vistas. Of course, you saw like the main royal courtroom and Shuri's lab and and such, but you didn't really get to see that much on the ground. And so the Talokans attack Wakanda. Ramonda is killed trying to save Riri, or she's drowned by trying to save Riri, the the part you mentioned with her Mm -hmm. in the water. And then the more kind of gives this ultimatum, like basically he's going to come back in a week and like completely wipe Wakanda off the map. Mm-hmm. And the Wakandas have to retreat to the Jabari land for safety. And that part of the movie, I mean, that's, 
I mean, this is, of course, is like really setting up whatever the next main conflict is. But like it also thrusts Shuri right back into this like grief cycle almost like Mm -hmm. not to say that she really Mm -hmm. got over the death of her brother, but then a year later to lose her mother, too. Right. Oh, my God. It was that was being in the, you know, in the movie theater with folks when. Ramonda died was again, it was like the air was taken out of the room. Like, are mm-hmm. you serious? More Is this real? Are, are we more tears <laughs> are shed? Because one, Angela Bassett acted on, I mean, yeah, award winning, no matter she, if she gets an award or not. She, in my book, she gets an award. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But this is the matriarch. This is a person that we've seen fight for their family, right? And mm-hmm. go through hardship, lost their son, did everything that they could to get their daughter back, gets their daughter back, and then dies. Mm-hmm. Right. And now the daughter is left holding the bag. Like, yeah, you know yeah. what? And and being so young still, and being consumed with revenge, right? And vengeance. Yeah. yeah. And so grief. She, yeah. So mm-hmm. at that moment, she um, basically like retreats back to the lab. Of course, she has the bracelet from uh, Namora's mother. And like Paul said, uses that to kind of synthetically end up reconstructing the heart-shaped herb. And so mm-hmm. reconstructs the herb, 3D prints the herb, which I thought was pretty dope. 3D yeah. prints the <laughs> the herb, distills it into a tincture, and then Shuri ends up drinking it so she can go to the ancestral plane. Because I think one, of course, is to try to seek knowledge about what's the what's the next step. Because like I have no one at this point, no one mm-hmm. else in my family is alive. Right. And mm-hmm. maybe the intention when she drank it was that she thought she would see her brother, or she thought she yes. would maybe see her mother. But then she takes it and nah. ends up seeing. Killmonger. Hey, little Kuzo. Right. In the ancestral plane. I was like, yo, no way. That was such a good, good scene, too, because, like, that confirmed to everybody that he's dead. (laughs) Well, yes, that one. But what what I I really, I I think about her being under the water, which water was a a common theme, but mm -hmm. being in the water, coming out of the water dry. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And mm-hmm. then, t- and seeing, you know, again, the beautiful colors of the astral plane, and then turning around and seeing, knowing someone's in the chair and saying, Mother. Mm-hmm. And then walking closer and then seeing it's not. <laughs> that was so powerful. So yeah. powerful. You know, what was interesting about that, and I'm not sure if anybody else picked up on this, but in Black Panther 1, um, when T'Challa takes it, he sees T'Chaka, who was the last Black Panther before mm. before oh. he died. Oh. And so when Shuri takes it, she sees the last Black Panther, which was, you know, in Jaka, right? And so it's like, I was like, oh, that's how that's how they're going to get around showing Chad with Bozeman. Because he wasn't the last Black Panther, right? He, like, before that he died, makes, right? Okay. 
Yeah. So like in, in terms of lineage. Yeah. In terms of lineage. And I was like, that's such a, ma- that's a masterstroke. That like, that's it's so like the whole movie is genius, but like, that is such a beautiful little detail. Right. And, and then, you know, there, there's this overlay of like, uh, you know, Killmonger is set for revenge and that's where Shuri is going and all that stuff. Right. But of course, Ramonda wouldn't be part of be one of the people. Cause the, the ceremony is that you get to talk to the black Panthers that will give you guidance. Right. right. Ramonda was mm-hmm. never a Black Panther. Right. And so and Shuri doesn't know that because Shuri's actually there's no priest of the Black Panthers guiding her through that journey. It's yeah. Zuri, Zuri passed in the first movie. The, the, right. Zuri like passed in the first person. Mm-hmm. And then the, you know, the 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 other the other Black Panther priests who come in later in the film toward the end they're nowhere to be found. So it's mm-hmm. Nakia who knows how to do the, the, the grinding ritual part of it, and, uh, which is beautiful too, right? To have like these three highly intelligent, highly skilled black women finding a, making a way where there is no way like that. That's a beautiful moment, mm-hmm. but also there's this layer underneath that of Shuri being like, being like, oh, I'm not, fuck tradition. I'm doing this yeah. so I can get my revenge. Right. And that is actually what Killmonger was doing too, right? Like that, that's, is, is these beautiful little parallels that are set up throughout the entire movie that are just so, just so rich. I just, I love, I love that whole scene. That was so good. Oh man, so good. So Shuri like comes out of the ancestral plane um, sort of fueled, I guess, in a way of revenge from having spoken with Killmonger. And then she realizes, oh, she has like the strength of the Black Panther. So she becomes the next Black Panther. And it's interesting because she talks with, um, I think she talked with M'Baku after mm-hmm. that, I want to say. Mm-hmm. And yeah. M'Baku was almost kind of giving her like, you would think would be contradictory advice. You know, the Jabari tribe being more, kind of shunning technology and things like that. And Baku almost giving her advice for like peace. And instead Shuri Mm -hmm. wants vengeance, you know, Mm -hmm. and like Mm -hmm. orders this immediate counterattack on Namor and the Talokan. Of course, Okoye is no longer the general of the Dora Milaje. Now it's Ayo who's Mm -hmm. the the general. And then Mm -hmm. Shuri like gets the new armor, the midnight angel armor that she had been making. Um, Mm -hmm gives it to Okoye and then Okoye recruits Aneka to join her. So then the Wakandans all set out on this big ass ship to try to like set a trap for Namor, like to try to lure everyone to the surface. And it's a, it's a huge epic battle. Mm-hmm. Um, you think it's, it's funny. Cause like, you're like, Oh, the Wakandans got it. And they're like, Oh no, the Talokans got it. Like it, it really sort of like, goes back and forth it's interesting how when she talks with riri how sort of they get the idea of how to weaken namora by just like exposing him to like heat to like dry him out so like mm-hmm. you know there's this whole interesting elemental symbolism cycle which i do want to talk about between like earth fire air and water with mm-hmm. that that goes throughout the film um mm-hmm. and so then you know it comes you know to near the end of the movie both uh the black panther shuri and namor are fighting 
on this like desert beach. You think that Shuri is about to kill him. And then she gets all these flashbacks and, and sort of, I guess, messages from the, the ancestors and spares his life. And then they make an alliance. Namor accepts mm-hmm. that the battle ends. Um, and so Riri ends up going back to Boston uh, and like this, you know, the movie kind of mostly ends off, I would say, at that point. Of course, right. there's this mid credit scene, which happens afterwards, where Shuri goes to Haiti to finally do the ritual that she was about to do with Ramonda at the top of the movie, which was burning the funeral robes, the like funeral mm-hmm. ceremonial robes. Um, and she does so on the beach, is finally able to grieve. And then Nakia is joined by a young boy who is her mm-hmm. son, Toussaint. I think he mm-hmm. says Toussaint in the movie, but Toussaint. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and Toussaint tells Shuri, like, Toussaint's my my Haitian name. My Wakanda name is T'Challa. And it's like, in this moment, Shuri's like, not only do I now have family, family mm-hmm. that I didn't even know that I had, but now this young boy very well could be the next Black Panther, which I thought was a, a super mm-hmm. clever way to to recast in the future whomever the Black Yo. Panther will be. Right. Prince T'Challa. Prince T'Challa. Prince T'Challa. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Opens the door for future films with the same name. Mm-hmm. Like, yep. brilliant. 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 And, and, and I stayed till after the credits hoping there would be another scene and it just said Me Black too. Panther will return. I'm glad they just left it open like that. They just said Black yeah. Panther will return. That's it. Yeah. I don't know what an after credit scene could have done outside of that because once I saw that part with uh with Toussaint and them on the beach, my jaw was on the floor. Yeah. I was like, mm-hmm. what? That was so brilliant. More brilliantly tears done. were shed. I just More tears were shed. Oh, that oh, last that last scene of her sitting on the beach. And again, it was almost like the beginning of the film. And the end of the film were the same. Mm-hmm. And it was a tribute to Chadwick, mm-hmm. who Ryan Coogler beyond loved. Yeah, loved, right? love. loved, loved. Like, this isn't just, oh, good working with you. This was true love. And to me, this was a the biggest love letter he could give. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. I am so glad they did not do some 3D deep fake model of Chadwick to have him like act in depth. (laughs) I'm so glad they didn't do that. Oh my god! No, no No, Star Wars Force Ghost or something like no, no, no Tupac hologram thing. No, yeah. I'm so glad. I was very happy. I was very happy about that. Yeah, yeah. It feels disrespectful to do something like that. (laughs) <laughs> you know mm-hmm. yeah uh and it felt disrespectful when they did that with with tupac to be quite honest with you like mm, anyway mm. i'm going we talking about black panther i'm going with so go. so yeah so that's the movie i mean we spent a, a good bit of time going over the whole plot of everything but then the movie actually was much longer than the first one and there was so much mm-hmm. introduced i remember seeing this interview where ruth carter said that nine new superheroes were introduced in this movie and i was really like yes. namora atuma Riri. like there were a lot of people that were sort of introduced and so it was a mm-hmm. lot to cram into one film um mm-hmm. but i think it did a great job overall and granted this this episode is not about dissecting really the plot of the movie we're here to talk about design which we will get into 
uh, mm-hmm. right now. So um, let's start with the fashion. I mean, I think the most <laughs> striking thing for me is, well, I mean, there's so many striking things, but the one that stands out to me because we just talked about it was uh, Shuri as Black Panther in her Black Panther suit. Mm-hmm. Um, it had been intimated, I think, through earlier interviews and such that Shuri was going to be the Black Panther. Um, and you could tell, of course, there's like the dots around the eyes that were very similar to the same ones that Shuri had in both the first and the second movie. Mm-hmm. I like how her suit was kind of this mix of black and gold. Like mm-hmm. Killmonger's suit was gold, T'Challa's suit was black. And so hers was kind of a, a mixture of two, I guess, with that gold sort of symbolizing the mm-hmm. the sort of revenge or vengeful parts that she probably shares with Killmonger at this at this present time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there was this the, the scene where she was going for the you know looking at the face mask of her brother, mm-hmm. and then she moved forward to her own. Like you know, it was mm-hmm. a, a a passing of the not a passing of the torch, but in ways like okay, I'm honoring you and I, I have my own. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In the comics, Shuri does become the Black Panther at a time. And also she ends up um, having her own role and she doesn't have any sort of code name, but she does become like the keeper of the Wakandan um, history, the oral history. And I, um, when we're talking about fashion, she in the comics she has these beautiful, long, um, a- they almost look like elephant tusk earrings, and she's wearing them in the funeral procession um, to mm-hmm. in in Chad for that. And so I thought that was like a nice touch to sort of hearken, like almost if you're a comics fan, like foreshadowing like you know sherry is going to have this role this like very prominent role and so it was really cool to see see the black panther suit i really liked how it was like gold inlaid and having the split the the speckles of white throughout it so it really is sherry's instead of like a recreation of killmongers mm-hmm. regine are we are uh our resident fashion expert here. Like what did you think of, of how the the costumes and everything were in the movie? I love all of them. I think that Ruth Carter and team did such a brilliant job of taking not only, you know, the, the influences from the African culture, but influences from the Mesoamerica, from the Mayan cultures and, really blending those and bringing those together. I thought, I mean, the opening scene where they're in, you know, in the all white, which is traditionally in, in a lot of cultures, white is worn uh, mm-hmm. for, for funerals and, and typically like not in the West people wear black. Right. And so acknowledging that um, I think was so important. And just, again, the colors, you know, the scenes of the folks who are walking in the streets of Wakanda, everything is so colorful and bright, right? All their clothing. Uh, mm-hmm. There was one person who was just wearing like this really nice sweater dress and heels. I remember just seeing little pieces of everybody in, in the blue, I don't know, striking colors of blue and, and the reds. Again, the colors were popping throughout the movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, you definitely had, you know, the the color white as kind of this 
symbolizing thread i i feel like throughout the film of course with the the funeral procession i think shuri uh in a later scene you see her in like this white dress i think this is after she becomes the black panther um Mm -hmm. riri is wearing white at one point in the lab so you do see white used in a lot of places but more so i think it was really tied to t'challa tied to chadwick tied to like i felt like white kind of represented him throughout the movie in the ways that we saw it being presented yeah and i want every outfit shuri had (laughs) in that movie everyone every single one was i mean when they went to the mit campus that that jumpsuit was Oh, that was a fire jumpsuit. I was like, (laughs) and I am picking up. Give me five of those. (laughs) Yeah, like it's very, it's very kind of, I mean, it's tech wear. It's like this really sort of like nice, you know, kind of fitted jumpsuit that, you know, of course she was saying it like, yeah, I can like blend in with the, with the students. But I would like even say like her hair, I mean, even to talk about just like Shuri's hair journey, like in the first movie, her hair is always presented in this very almost sort of regal braided updos mm-hmm. and things of that nature. And then with the second movie, it's more, I guess, relaxed in a way you you know, she kind of has just like these front curls at the top of her head. Like it's, it's very mm-hmm. almost casual in a way kind of, I guess, growing into her, her womanhood. Cause she's what a teenager, supposedly a teenager in the first movie. And I think yes. she's probably what, maybe 21, 22 in, uh, in Wakanda forever. Mm-hmm. I think she was night. I think she's mid twenties in this film. Yeah, I'm. I'm also. I, I'm just thinking about the blip too, because there's, there's like yeah. A five that's why I was saying that. Girl. Yeah. 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 I think she's mid mid twenties, but you know, uh, as they say, black people age in plateaus. There's not that's a true. linear. <laughs> <laughs> so, I've uh, never heard that, but I I love it. I'm gonna keep using that. He's moving forward. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so uh yeah the <laughs> yeah I, I do think that uh i really liked all like i was actually i'm i'm still stuck on okelier's outfits to be quite honest with you because they they really put her in some sharp uh very very sharp looking suits and i'm mm-hmm. a fan of a, a good looking suit on anybody you know and yeah, they just really made it work. You know, it's just mm, great. And then further kind of, I, you know, pushing that like sartorial point, even when you look at the, the, the Talokan, you look at Namora and Namora and the, the people of Talokan, like, I feel like there's so much that had to have gone into making sure that they got a lot of those elements as as closely as they could like culturally right like mm-hmm. you'll notice they're not really wearing fabric of course because they're underwater but then like you know the the neck pieces are shells and coral and thinking about how they might have used vibranium to create you know what it is that they have and what they wear in their civilization like they obviously mm-hmm. have to have things that allow for great mobility underwater you know even like the face mask kind of thing that has water in it i thought was pretty cool that was such beautiful design i did notice that every time the uh talakon were just move moving around underwater the things they were carrying were always in like a mesh bag which made Mm. a lot of sense as as i Mm. was watching it but i was just like huh 
I guess if I lived underwater and I was just like doing groceries or whatever, I would want something that could like just move freely with me. And it was like just a weird out of body thought I had while watching that. And then I was just like, I I don't think I'm going to live in the water, but that's neither here nor there. Um, Hannah Beachler's production Bible for the first Black Panther had to have been like massive. So for this one, like I still wish we could like get a hold of it, but it's still probably going to be top secret until maybe like a decade from now. But I'm just so inspired by all the visuals that come out of that and like all the research that goes into just everything because it is a lot it has to be to make this film look and feel as great as it does yes was Hannah Beachler part of this one as well? I didn't. She yeah. was. She was. Yeah. She yeah. was a production yep. uh, designer for this. Shout out to her for that. If you all want to listen to uh, to her episode, it's episode three hundred of Revision Path. You can listen to that on the website. But yeah, she uh, she was a production designer for this film too. Great. And as I found out later, came up with the Wakandan uh, like glyph language that we also see throughout the film. Oh, wow. So also a typographer. Okay. Also okay. a typographer. Brilliant. Brilliant. Just, <laughs> Brilliant. just, okay. just killing it. Uh, I like with, with uh, Namor and with Atuma and with uh, Namora, how you started to see all these like traditional sea elements as part of their, uh, you know, just part of what they were wearing. Like Namora was wearing mm-hmm. pearls. He was wearing pearls mm-hmm. in his like necklace and in his kind of neck piece. And then Namora had these sort of big, fish fins you know with her headdress as well as her kind of neck piece atuma i think had like a shark's jaw on the top Mm -hmm. of his thing that sort of like spread Mm -hmm. out like you it was interesting to see how they utilize those as part of their kind of armature which really sort of Mm -hmm. solidified them as being these uh these underwater dwellers as part of this sort of underwater civilization neymar's uh Namor's throne also looked like it was like a mouth mm-hmm. of a shark. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, mm-hmm. yo, this guy's badass. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, even I mean, his I- headdress, that big, huge circular headdress. Majestic. Oh, yeah. And again, yeah, yeah him uh, him coming down into the throne, that scene. Where they're about mm-hmm. to oh, yeah. you know, go battle, so hit yeah. him, him coming down, and again, just the the lighting, the whole scene of coming yes. down, coming down, and then sitting fire was just beautiful, right? I love that that whole speech was so good too, because um, what was great about it is he said like. I made a mistake. This is my bad. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. but now we got to go to war. <laughs> so, uh, we doing this and everybody was like, yeah, let's go. You know, like how <laughs> often do you see, <laughs> like, how often do you see leaders be like, yo, actually, I know I'm charged with protecting you and I made a mistake. So, uh, uh, forgive me. Yeah, that and never also, happens. No. Right. Just like, just all of these little bits were just so yeah. good. It was, mm. And another another scene I'm thinking about from a from a fashion perspective was when they're on the ship and mm. they're about to start, you know, fighting. 
and the Dormelage start running, right, to oh. jump off that boat. And mm-hmm. all you see oh, are these so red cool. all you see are these red suits, right? Right. Flying mm-hmm. in the air. And you're like, how where are they are they jumping in the water? You didn't really know until they <laughs> you know, they got caught and you could see them. And that that to me, that scene and again, going back to the colors and the outfits and, and seeing the blueness of the bodies mm-hmm. with, in mm-hmm. contrast with that red. It, yeah, it was it was an amazing was scene beautiful. to watch. It really was. It w- yeah. I, I, I really loved, and I'm not sure whose idea this was, um, and you know, if like anybody that was working on the Black Panther wants to just like reach out and you know come on the on the podcast and just let us know, that'd be great. Oh uh, please, plug that. <laughs> but I'm not sure whose idea it was to make the um, Teclacon people um, appear brown underwater and blue when they're on the surface. Like that was such a brilliant touch Mm. um like you know i'm gonna go see it again today but the the fact that there are these deep rich still sort of like these deep rich browns of like the indigenous folks of mesoamerica underwater like they can be how you remember them underwater and or how we would remember them underwater but when they come up to the surface they're they've changed into this blueness that's that was Dope, 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 dope. I love that so much. It was my favorite bit. I think they did a really great job. You know, I talked about this earlier of kind of showing, you know, if we look at like Wakanda, for example, just the architecture of Wakanda, how they really Mm -hmm. show more of what you would see on like the regular, just like surface level of being in the, in the country, I would say, because I don't think they really talked about any specific cities in Wakanda. They just kind of talk about Wakanda as a country. Um, but I think it was, I think this was near the end of the movie. It was the first time that I saw a car driving on a road in Wakanda. Mm. This happens like near the end of the movie where you see these Wakandan, I, I, the best I call them are like lakefront houses. They're on stilts. Um, (laughs) but you, but you see a car driving on a road. I was like, I don't think I've ever seen anyone driving in Wakanda. Like, what what the Wakanda yeah. traffic rules look like? I don't know, but like I, you didn't you didn't see stuff like that. But I I thought that even showing the sort of marketplace where that fight took place, and you started start you saw the bridges, you saw kind of the towering uh, skyscrapers and buildings. But then on the ground, it still feels and looks very. I mean, the best I could describe it is African, and that it still felt yes. like it was very of the earth, even with all these technological advances. But then you see this this other part out near this sort of lake house where it all, I mean, honestly, that could have been, that could have been Hilton Head in South Carolina. That could have been like the yeah. Keys in Florida. It just looked, I mean, and maybe it was just in terms of like, you know, actual physical setting, but I like how it showed you these different aspects of Wakanda. It didn't, it didn't give you what I think people would stereotypically think of as quote unquote Africa. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I did see in the beginning of the movie when they were uh, flying into Wakanda in the lower right of the screen, there was a subway. There were yeah, that like was, a yeah. train car coming in. I was just like, huh, 
okay, that's cool. That was there in the first one too. The, yes. the subways. Oh, yeah, they I, had the light, the, the transport, the, the uh, vibranium from the Great mm-hmm. Mound. Yeah. Oh, yeah. right. Yeah. And you know, it's interesting with uh, with Wakanda because um, I and I again, I would love to see you know if someone wants to come in and set me straight, you, you know, just let me know. Uh, but I would love to see the production Bible because uh, there's this whole mm-hmm. movement of like um, what's called like solar punk, right? And it's like versus yes. cyberpunk, which is like mm-hmm. dystopian and like you know the world is just going to end up like the Matrix. Solar punk. And they they've been doing this in the comics too with Wakanda, is like the integration of technology with the natural environment, like from the Earth, and so that like that is a lot of what they have with Wakanda, right? It's just like this very sort of bright, hopeful future yeah. of it, and then you see that mirrored in the technology in Teclacan, actually, when it's like we're going to be working with our environment instead of being distinct from it. Um, I I love I loved all of those productions um, to look at uh, like those uh, set pieces and things like that. I just wanted to spend I I I would pay so much to just spend time on that set. <laughs> just look at it. Yeah, it, when you all when you said details. solar punk, when you said solar punk, that did really um, kind of capture. I think especially in Wakanda, that kind of hopefulness of like what the future could mm-hmm. look like um yeah. not what the future mm-hmm. necessarily is and i would say in some you know way with like Nam- you know namor bringing the sun to his people in that sort of way is is probably an allusion to that as well i mean we did see there was some i guess mm-hmm. quote-unquote primitiveness in the talokan city where you saw like children playing and things of that nature but it also was still very technological so it's yeah. almost like an underwater Wakanda, or maybe Wakanda is like an overworld Talokan, but there's definitely similarities that are that are going on there, like, you know, as above, so below, you know, that mm. sort of duality. That's what I felt. There were a lot of parallels between the two, mm. you know, in essence, countries, right? Yeah. That they, they used what they had and made the most of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I I feel like I I don't I don't know how to put this, but like I feel like there's this way that we um in like western mindsets we kind of sort of look at things as like primitive and things like that, but I'm also like I'm also like if it ain't broke don't fix it. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like there are right. designs that haven't changed for millennia. I think about like just like other places in the world where, you know, that are older than the sort of the Western world that use designs that have just been passed down over, you know, over generations and generations. And it, you, you can't build a better mousetrap. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, so, and, and <laughs> well, well, no, go ahead. Go ahead. I want to, I want to say something after that. Oh, okay. Yeah. And just sometimes like, I think what's sort of cool and radical about both Wakanda and Teclacan is like, they're using indigenous technologies as equally as they're using like what we would consider Western or modern technologies. And it's, mm-hmm. it's cool to see those designs held in the same regard. And that that's kind of like the whole thing about what I really loved about this movie. It was like the ways in which we've learned about sort of native 
or like indigenous folks is that they were lower in technology and backwards and things like that or primitive or things like that. And it's just like, no, actually they were actually fairly advanced and they don't need to have all of these different design languages of the West to still be considered advanced. Mm -hmm. I really love, like, I really, really love that about all of the little pieces that I kept seeing throughout the movie. I was thinking about um, what we see a lot of in the movie, and we saw this in the last movie too, was a lot of gesture-based things, right? Mm-hmm. Hand-tracking mm-hmm. gesture-based things, which right now in our, you know, in 2022, we're seeing that a little bit in VR and a little bit in AR too, but this movie mm-hmm. takes it to another level. I mean, when uh, Ramonda raises her hands and you see all these... Yes. <laughs> you know, you see all the the planes. Uh, I don't know what you call them planes, but like the the planes come up, and she's in control of everything with her hands, right? It mm-hmm. isn't a control board and all of that stuff. So I think again, looking at things from a the, the lens that's been applied to this is a futurist lens for the folks of Wakanda and their technology, and I I think it will influence what people end up making in in our real world. Yeah, mm-hmm. I hope so. I'm still waiting for Kamoyo beads. <laughs> Listen, man, <laughs> we're all waiting please. for those. <laughs> please, I have so many notes on those. They continue to be dope. You can take them off and have them as earrings. They can be flying bugs. They can be defibrillators. Exactly. Are you serious? Yeah. Okay. Well, like, all right, yo, I, you know, no, 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 <laughs> no. See, i been. <laughs> I've, yeah, you were supposed see, to be working I on that from the last movie. <laughs> What's going on? Chop, chop. Paul, you've, had, Paul, you've had four years. What's happening with those? Are you okay, Paul? Do you, is this an intervention? <laughs> no, man. So I was thinking about this again last night. I was like, okay, they're all magnetic. How do they work together? Mm-hmm. Was so then I was like, okay, they must use piezoelectric um properties and all this stuff then i was thinking about like servo motors uh accelerometers how can we manufacture them to be as tiny to fit in these things how would they connect to each other oh well maybe the magnetic connection between them that keeps them together could also provide uh electricity towards in them then i was like how would they be a defibrillator and then i was like okay maybe if they can detect being on like a body that's when they'll like do something or whatever, and then you press into them, and then it would just like release all the electricity stored in each and every one. Like, there's so much that you can extrapolate on all this, which is why we need Hannah Beecher's production Bible. <laughs> so we can make Hannah. this. Hannah! <laughs> like, Miss Beecher! <laughs> like, please, oh, just God. like, I will pay her. I, I, I don't know. I just want all her notes on that. And another mm. thing that bothered me about the film was how did the CIA bug them? How yes. can you bug Kamoyo Beats? I was that like, the enti- really? Really? I've been thinking about that the entire time. Maybe that'll be revealed in like a future Disney Plus thing. Because I, I mean, I, I get what you're saying. Uh, um, what was her name in the in the film? Val? Allegra uh, de yeah, Fontaine. Who, who, yeah. Val, yeah, who had her debut in... Uh, the Falcon and the Winter Soldier, which Winter is a Disney Soldier. Plus series from last year, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. is is in, is reintroduced in this film not only as sort of like the C, the director, I think, of the CIA, but also Everett Ross's ex wife, 
I kind of right. felt that was, I mean, maybe again, that'll be explained in another movie. Felt a little throwaway to me. Felt like mm-hmm. we gotta no. put some other white people in here, so we gotta like tie it in some way to uh, to Disney Plus. But it kind of felt a little. Mm, I don't know if you can really get one up on the Wakandans like that. <laughs> yeah, I was just like, yeah. come on, bro. I mean, I'm nah. glad that the only uh, you know plot magic that happened, <laughs> you know, <laughs> that is like the United States is somehow able to bug Wakandan technology like that because. Right. Because <laughs> everything else feels, we're talking about people flying through the air, and we're like, "Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense." But how are you gonna, how are you gonna bug Kamoyo bees? <laughs> yeah, I wasn't well, sure about, I mean, about I all that. I can see how someone could like become a mutant, like by his mother drinking some like fancy stuff. But I mean, come on, let's oh, be yeah, real. Yeah. Technologically speaking. So I want to um, touch on something that that yeah. uh, Jordan you said earlier around mm-hmm. solar punk, which I I think was an interesting, I guess, treatise throughout the film. Like yes. solar punk is is sort of this vision of a future that like embodies what humanity can achieve. But I think another key element of solar punk is sustainability. It's a mm-hmm. point where humanity sees itself as a part of nature, which is mm-hmm. what the Wakandans have done by like using vibranium to build their civilization. It's what the Talokan have used to build their civilization. And so you have these other, other cultures, Western cultures that are like, yeah, we want some of that too. You need to share with Mm -hmm. us. When we all know it's not about sharing it's, it's, we want to take it for ourselves. So you have nothing. We want to strip it from Mm -hmm. you so we can have it. And like, I think it's interesting, you know, when you, when you think about that saying like move fast and break things, how that Mm. is completely antithetical to solar punk, like moving Mm. fast and breaking things is pretty much just new school manifest destiny. Like we want to take what you have and make it our own thing. (laughs) And so what I, what I think is interesting, which with both, you know, Namor and Shuri, even at some points, you know, mulling over this idea of an alliance is like, look, we have more in common than you think with the rest of these people. The rest of these people just want to take, take, take. Namor has seen it firsthand mm-hmm. with the conquistadors. Right. Shuri definitely has seen it with now the outside world wanting to take what Wakanda has. Like right. the enemy of my enemy is my friend, like that sort of thing. I thought was a really interesting tie between both of these civilizations that I would I would love to see how that plays out in future films because at the end of the mm. film they do come to an alliance. But I would they love do. to see how that plays out. Yeah, I would love to see how that plays out. I'm also just thinking about sort of like, um, you know, in a lot of activist movements and a lot of, um, especially in uh, things like restorative justice and um, things that are actively crediting like indigenous folks and actively crediting unlike the united states who like you know our constitution is based on like the indigenous people that we came in contact that our countries uh came in contact with and we just like janked it you know we just ripped it off and tried to copy off the homework and all that stuff but like (laughs) here there's this really great thing that's happening where there is this you know, the thing that really made my heart sore about this movie is like there's this undercurrent really truly of like indigeneity and like indigeneity and like working together and like really thinking about the ways that we approach each other 
is very, very important. And the, even the main, you know, even the main conflict for both of them happens because, you know, these outside white Western forces mm-hmm. are like, we want this rare mineral and we're going to mm-hmm. use a young black, a brilliant young black woman's invention that she didn't even know. To use, like she yep. she did it to prove her her professor wrong, right? And the professor who we don't know what he looks like, but you know he might mm-hmm. be a little palm colored, uh, <laughs> sold it, <laughs> sold it to the United States government from MIT, right? And so there's this like this young black like, and that you know the whole conflict is black women protecting this young brilliant black woman mm-hmm. from consequences mm-hmm. of of being brilliant and people misusing her brilliance. Like you could definitely have that interpretation of the movie. She was definitely exploited. She was exploited. Right. And so you, you have the whole conflict comes from the fact that these like white nations want to take something that is sacred to both of these cultures and that they have sacred rights and sacred engagement with. Right. And it was um, like, I just, I love that whole thing. I loved, um, I love uh, solar punk because solar punk draws a lot from indigeneity and indigenous ways of knowing. And, um, and so does Afrofuturism, right? Like all of these threads. Mm-hmm. And like, if you read some sort of, I highly recommend people read like a lot of um I highly recommend people read period but I highly recommend <laughs> that people read um sort of so long been dreaming which is like post colonial science fiction or like uh reading reading the bones um sorry uh what's it called uh, dark matter reading the bones which is also mm-hmm. done some black afrofuturism stuff because you'll start to see these seeds and threads that connect all of sort of the, the connect black people and indigenous people together around the ways in which we're relearning how we approached each other and how we had our humanity um, preserved. And, uh, you know, it, it, it's slower. It's not as action packed. It's not as, um, it's not as like, exciting for western audiences because we've been primed for war but i i do want to imagine what it would have been like that's kind of why i'm sort of upset with like uh with namor showing up on somebody's beach right and like i'll pass it off because he was a kid and nobody taught him the ways to do that but like Mm -hmm. you don't show up to somebody's house not bring oh but he did bring a gift he brought the vibranium thing never mind he brought a gift but you know you don't show up threatening people (laughs) you know but that you know that it was to me it looked like to me i could have really interpreted this film as two indigenous nations trying to fight off the effects of imperialism and getting messed up along the way you know mm-hmm. um i so i had i like i saw it once and i was like i got a whole i got a whole article a couple of articles in a book in me i guess about this this is beautiful like it's just it's a wonderful show it's a wonderful tv uh tv wonderful movie i just i loved everything that ryan coogler put into it hannah beecher put into it that ruth carter put into it they, yeah. they did it yeah and it's so layered from a from a political perspective, from a social perspective, from a historical yeah. perspective, right? These are all, there are so many different layers to it. 
Yeah. That to me just all equal brilliance. I thought that this was a very well written script with knowing yes. that this script was written in grief. Yes. Yeah. Mm. And it written shows in, to me. It shows yeah, to I me. Think it does. It but does. I think written in grief, but also with like all of these like layers and it's done with such such care. Like mm-hmm. You know, we I, I you know said this before about kind of like this nature of like the elements being symbolized throughout the movie, mm-hmm. like fire, water, earth, air. It's interesting, like you know, one with the Talokan being this underwater civilization, but like also most of Wakandan's major ceremonies take place around water, right? Like yes. at the Warrior right. Falls, that you know, when when that's happening, for example, to determine who's going to be the next. Uh, the next Black Panther, you know, Killmonger's quote at the end oh, of the movie yeah. about being in the ocean. So, like, water mm-hmm. clearly plays this sort of pivotal role about, you know, it's a symbol of life. It's a symbol of change, of flexibility, you know, just like how all the Wakandans are saying that death is never the end. So water yeah. is kind of like this rebirth and reincarnation. You know, Namor is born underwater. So I find, like, there's that mm-hmm. interesting symbolism then there's the opposite of that, which is fire, which is like, you know, destruction. The the heart-shaped herb was burned up. The final mm-hmm. battle happens of like a hot desert, mm-hmm. you know, with things on fire. Vengeance, Namor ultimately is, yep, Namor mm-hmm. is ultimately sort of defeated by fire, you know. And you mm-hmm. can even sort of channel that into the rage that Shuri feels when she goes to the ancestral right. plane and she's talking to Killmonger. She's like surrounded by fire that happens to be in water. But she's surrounded by fire. Mm -hmm. And she wanted to make the world burn. Make the world burn. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And he said, let's do it together. Mm -hmm. Right? Earlier in the Mm -hmm. film, he said, let's do it together. So, yeah. No. Please continue. I want to hear air and earth. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, I think with with earth, certainly earth is, is, um, you know, we think of Mother Earth. The foundation. The symbol of, of, you know, fertility you know the heart-shaped mm-hmm. herb of course comes from the earth so does the same herb that uh i guess talakan has that comes from the earth but also the earth is something that we all share all of us all of our cultures share the earth we share this planet we share in its resources and so you think of earth as like the symbol of humanity like yes we're all fighting for resources i think that's said at one point in the movie about yes, fighting over resources. Mm-hmm. Yes. It so is. you have Namor that. Is, yeah. Nomura is saying it to Shuri. It's mm-hmm. like, this is why they're coming after us, this sacred resource, you know? Right. And then air is used a lot. I think, well, I mean, of course, you know, Namor can, can fly, but mm-hmm. a lot of the music around the Talokan, Emriri. But uh, but a lot of the music around like the Talokan and the more and everything is like air instruments. It's flutes. Yeah. It's a conch shell that's used as a trumpet. It's ocarinas. You know, like there's all these sort of like airy wind elements that like symbolize the 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 Talokan and then of course the cuckoo clan with the the feathered serpents. Mm-hmm. That whole siren song you sing into the air, etc. There's all these like interesting just sort of like symbol symbolic things around elements that are right. things that we all share on this planet that I feel really were woven very deftly throughout the film. <laughs> yes. Yes. 
Yeah, even the honestly, even the the hand symbol, and this doesn't necessarily apply to the elemental sort of mm-hmm. thing I was talking about, but like you know, Wakandans have the crossed arm salute, and the, and it's sort of like mm-hmm. close to the chest, like an X almost, right? Mm-hmm. And then the Talokan have this like open palm symbol, like yes. one Dude, palm is open up towards the earth, and then one is towards the person, and that's actually represented in like Mesoamerican art yes. and things. You know, yes. so like they've got their own oh. symbol that's that is open. Yeah. It's like yeah. an O almost. No so you have like X's with Wakanda, which is like keeping things close to themselves. You have O, which of course could symbolize openness, but also symbolize the planet Earth that we all live on. That is mostly water. And it's a it's a greeting, right? It's a greeting and it's like receiving, right? So like there's yes. this thing around like I'm I'm here, like I receive you. Like it's just it was ah, it was so good. That was such a good um wow bit of design right there, where it's like uh where it's the way literal we yin and yang. Yeah, like the 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 repress like the reciprocity, the mirroring of the two worlds, like Wakanda being on land, Telecom being under the surface. What we we have, what we haven't really touched on, um, is like the the writing that that was done for Telecon. So we we've talked about uh, Hannah Beecher doing uh, the the symbology and the the type for but i want for wakanda but i want to know who did it for telecon because they're really drawing they're really really drawing from like mesoamerican art with that stuff it's amazing i wonder if that was part of i mean she had to have had a hand in it i'm sure but like even those like intricate drawings that namor was doing um on the wall that and like that's history you know, right, like yeah. at one point, I think near the end, they show like the clash of the panther and the serpent, which is yes. Wakanda and Talokan. Yeah. Wow. Wow. I missed that bit. Yeah. Oh, man. Again, yeah. this is something that I don't know. For me, I need to see this movie multiple times because there are so Same. many little things that happen in the film that each time I watch it, I see something new. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm. I'm going to go see it tonight. I. I. I'm like. I kind of wish it was streaming, because if you're gonna wreck me like this, <laughs> I'd like to be in the comfort of my own home where the food is a little free. Yeah. Or it's already bought. So I yeah. can eat my feelings a little bit more. <laughs> yeah. The, the first time I saw the, the movie, the woman next to me was very emotional. <laughs> I, I was like, uh, "What are we in for here?" <laughs> yeah, I mean, props. I mean, huge props to Ryan Coogler and the entire oh, cast for not just like persevering through obviously a gut wrenching loss to their entire cast and crew, but then to also mm-hmm. pull out this amazing story with all these lush symbolic mm-hmm. elements out of that i mean i think that is something which you know hopefully as creatives all of us we can really be uh be inspired by yeah that uh, was inspiring they they turned their pain into art I yeah mean, they really did they, they really, really did. did the last thing i want to touch on is the music i don't know if you all have <laughs> had a chance to listen to either the soundtrack or the score um of course with the no, the soundtrack God. like there was the the rihanna song 
uh, Lift Me Up, which came out, I think maybe about a week or two prior to the movie's premiere, which was her mm-hmm. return, you know, to music. Shout out to Riri. Um, Shout out to Riri. That's so interesting. Rihanna's called Riri. There's a Riri in the movie. Right. Anyway. but <laughs> She's named after Rihanna. Oh, she is. <laughs> She's named after Rihanna. Like Okay, the, that the I didn't character. know. Okay. Yeah. I didn't know that. Um, oh. Rihanna also has a second song in the movie, which... Oh. Was just added. It was just added to the soundtrack. I think Friday, like the day the movie came out. Um, oh, okay. She has a she has a song. I think it, it takes place near the end of the movie called "Born Again." Mm. So it's another it's another sort of ballad piece. But uh, if you haven't listened to the soundtrack or the score, go check them out. They're both on streaming services now. But like even both of those pieces are just these rich cultural tapestries. There's English, there's Spanish, mm-hmm. there's Zulu on there. There's um, the the South African Tosa language on there. There's like a yeah. poem near the end. That's like this indigenous Mayan language that's being spoken. And like, of course, when you hear it, it will take you back to the movie because the soundtrack right. is what's used for the like vocal music. And then the score is what's used for the instrumental music. So you'll hear a lot of these elements from it, but I just heard about like how much research went into putting together yes. the score and making sure that it wasn't just like, I don't want to say one note, but I think from the first movie, what we, what the first movie did was really bring a lot more Afrobeat artists into like American mainstream. Right. I yeah. mean, after the first movie, of course we know about Tim's, we know about, Muski, Burna Boy, Rotimi, mm-hmm. I mean, Beyonce had a whole Lion King soundtrack. Like, it's very prevalent now to have Afro beats as part of like mainstream music in a way. Um, and it's interesting how with this soundtrack, like you can really hear the different cultures that are trying to that he's trying to pull from in order to make these individual soundscapes. Like, I think yeah. this happens maybe kind of near the end of the movie where you hear like the flutes. Mm-hmm. And the flutes are kind of symbolic of the the Talokan, like go- going to war almost. Yes. There's this really beautiful song. Um, I think it's on the soundtrack, not the score, but I think it's called like, um, I don't know the name of it. I'm not going to try to say it. I'll link both the soundtrack and the score in the show notes, but it's like this underwater where it's the, it's the music that's playing when Namor takes Shuri through the city. This like mm. really beautiful, almost like synths and harps kind of thing going on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a beautiful soundtrack. It's a beautiful score. Um, there's parts of it that I I was when I listened to the soundtrack, for example, there's this one song called uh No Digas Mi Nombre, which means do not mm. say my name, which I attribute it to Namor. And it is very much like a traditional kind of like mexican song like it's like a mexican mariachi song um wasn't used in the movie i didn't hear it in the movie maybe it was used somewhere but i didn't hear it um but when i heard the soundtrack i was like where are they gonna put this in the movie because it's so thematically different from everything else you know i mean e40 is on the soundtrack stormzy is on the soundtrack of course rihanna's on the soundtrack so you have all you say e40 yeah Shout out to the Bay. (laughs) (laughs) Ryan Coogler is from Oakland, (laughs) y'all. But it is, I mean, both the score, you know, I I remember from the first movie, how I was saying that I felt like 
Um, I think I said like the score to me felt more like T'Challa and the soundtrack felt mm. like Killmonger. I didn't really feel like any specific characterization from either the score or the soundtrack, but I do think they both did a good job of sort of symbolizing, you know, you hear the term world music thrown around a lot. And normally when I think mm. world music, I think of like, I don't know, something you'd hear at like a massage parlor or something like some like, you know, pan oh flutes or some stuff like that. But this really felt like a mixing of Africa and like Mesoamerica, as well as like mm-hmm. the U.S., just kind of like all mixed together in this like huge, just like I don't know, musical gumbo in a way. Both the soundtrack and the the score are really great. I hope people get a chance to listen to them. Yeah, um, I, I touching on that. I know that Ludwig, whose last name I can't really pronounce very well, Borenson, Borenson, uh, who did the soundtrack. Uh, for this one and for uh, the first Black Panther movie, it was I I really appreciate that he was very clear. Like I had to stretch myself a lot, mm-hmm. um, and it's um, it's really cool to see uh, quote unquote uh, world music, which is really just folk music of different people being yeah. incorporated into orchestral music, which is often used for scores. Uh, and often used to like orchestral music is often very, uh, very, very white, um, or that's its perception, right? And so to mm-hmm. see like, um, them bringing in African instruments, Mesoamerican instruments, um, and using them to give dignity and render dignity to the scenes that use indigenous folks and African folks. Mm-hmm. It was it's wonderful. I yeah, I I hadn't listened to the score yet, so thank you for saying that. Yeah. Um because I'm going to I'm going to go check that out now. Yeah. Gorenson had said um about the soundtrack. He said like if we use the song in the film, we wanted it to be the entire song and to be connected to the story. Thematically mm. we wanted to move the audience from grief to celebration. When you listen Dang. to the soundtrack, you can close your eyes and relive the experience of the movie. That was the intention, which uh, I which mission I accomplished. That was I, the intention. I, I felt sad listening to to it, <laughs> and then I didn't yeah. right because I was like, "Is that going to be an upbeat song?" Or uh... <laughs> and I do feel like we were taken on a you know, if you listen to the music, you'll be taken on a journey. In the movie, you're taken on a journey, and it's life's journey. Life's journey is bittersweet. Right, mm-hmm. we we have these ups and these downs, these deaths and these rebirths, and that's what this movie is. We yeah. rise and we fall. We rise and we, we fall. Just, we're just ordinary people out here in Wakanda. Uh, I'm sorry. Like I like I said from the first movie, I, I had said that I want to get the director's cut and see like what's been like cut from the movie and everything. And I say that because of two songs on the soundtrack. Tracks 18 and 19. Um, mm-hmm. When when Gorenson said that he wanted to move from like grief to celebration, I don't know if there were that many celebratory moments in the film. Like it was definitely mm-hmm. like a meditation on grief and how you persevere through that. But the last two songs on the soundtrack, and this is, well, really it's, I guess the, the next to last two songs on the soundtrack since they added track 20, which was the second Rihanna ballad. 
but uh no digas mi nombre like i said it is very much a like mexican like mariachi like you might hear that at a quinceanera kind of song mm-hmm. um and then track 19 is called mi pueblo by guadalupe de jesus chanput oh, and when you shoot. listen to it it is a it's a a poem i want to know what the translation is because they don't list the translation but if you listen to it you hear waves crashing and then you just hear this woman sh- reciting this poem, which has been done in this traditional Mayan tongue. I don't know what it means. I don't know if that's Very something nice. that they meant to put in the movie and they cut it out. I want to know what it is. Cause like I got to the <laughs> end and I was like, what is this? And when I watched the movie, I was listening for those two distinct pieces of music and did not hear them. So I'm like, what was cut? That had these things in them. I'm just, I'm just mad curious about what those things were, considering I know how much love and care and craft was put into the soundtrack. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. why they ain't the movie? What happened? I mean, <laughs> things well, get ever... cut. <laughs> That's why yeah, I think things... things get cut, and then sometimes, I mean, the movie was long, and yeah. so what? What is really gonna, you know? I, I think uh, shout out to story editors because they really bring things See, together right. and um, in in amazing ways. But I I hope one day, Maurice, you get your answer because I, I then you could tell us. <laughs> I'm very curious too. Listen, Hannah, if you're listening, put out the production Ooh. Bible. We want to know. We want to hear. Please, please, <laughs> please. What do I gotta do? <laughs> um, do we ever get a director's cut of Black Panther one? Because I'm like, did we'll that have to draw? look into that. I, I mean, remember, I have the DVD, but I, but I, don't, the I don't remember. Ray. Me too. Oh, you have the oh, you have the DVD, and I should get the DVD. And we Blu-ray. gotta we gotta check that out. Yeah. Final thoughts about Black Panther: Wakanda Forever. I, I said I asked this question at the end of the the first time we did this for the first Black Panther movie, and I want to ask it again for this one. Uh, the question really being like, what what do you hope comes out of this? My hope is that we get to hear more indigenous stories mm. because mm-hmm. I feel that we are. So much of history has been forgotten, hidden on purpose. Um, there are so many things that we don't know about these cultures and we're getting a glimpse. And even though this doesn't exactly align with the comics, this is exposing us to a culture that we were not familiar with, a majority of us. Uh, a lot of people don't know about Mesoamerica or mm-hmm. anything about the cultures or, or the, you know, it, people are made out to be savages and all these things that are not actually accurate. Mm-hmm. You know, who the savages really are. Um, mm-hmm. And so my oh, hope Jesus. is that we, <laughs> my <laughs> hope is that we get to hear more of the stories that we haven't in the past. Okoye yeah. said, a colonizer in chains. <laughs> that was a great line. That oh was my a God. great line. <laughs> Paul, what about you? Oh, man, I forgot about that. Oh, that, that, that was damn good. I was like, yes. Um, what would I like to see? Obviously, another film. Like, please. Uh, these things take time. So, you know, they've got to take all the time they need. Uh, 
we already mentioned we would love to see the production Bible. Definitely. Um, yeah. Um, I think tagging on to what Regine said, like, yeah, just more stories. I will, I would like to have more information about uh, Namor's background and people in his city or uh, country. Uh, mm-hmm. More of just more of that because, man, those visuals, I, I feel like 40% of the movie was just underwater. Yeah. yeah. And I, I would like to see more of that. Jordan, you know, I'm, I, I actually want to kind of come in right in between Regine and Paul. Like, I would love for Marvel, I kind of like how DC has been doing with their um, Earth Prime comics. I would love for Marvel to release an MCU line of comic books that were written by Indigenous people with black people and they're kind of doing that with wakanda forever but i do think that teclacon being not being atlantis but being teclacon and like really Mm. being cityed in um in mesoamerica that's that in and of itself is brilliant and i know that the mcu um under kevin feige has been like really really expanding the stories to be super diverse and you don't see that reflected in the comics um as much and you don't see that reflected in the the current lore of the comics so i would love to see those stories and i would love for folks to really get curious about mesoamerica art uh art of the pacifics in general um and just getting curious about the stories that are hidden from us um and are locked away in academia and not really accessible um you know not really accessible anywhere outside of that and really taking them again and making them their own um yeah i think the greatest thing about this film is this it shows what happens when stories that come from people from the diaspora are given the proper care and treatment and um, budget (laughs) to tell their stories the way that they want to be told. And so I I hope that that is what continues to happen. And for me, I really, you know, kind of, I feel like I'm piggybacking on everyone's points here, but I definitely want to see Marvel tell more of these types of stories that really dig Mm -hmm. into different cultures of the world. I think for so long, particularly from the inception of Marvel comics, what we've been shown has been through, you know, a white lens. We get Greek mythology, we get Norse mythology, you know, and and I feel like I I just know this from like, honestly playing the Shin Megami Tensai persona games. There are so many other world mythologies out there with amazing Mm -hmm. characters and stories and, how it all sort of ties into, you know, the thing with, with that, that I think is very interesting in the movie, because we talked about sort of the fluidity of language. Um, all of these myths were created by humans to understand the world around them. Right. Which means that in a very, you know, very primitive way, we all is kind of experience the same feelings. We may call it different things. We may have different representations for them, but they all boil down to like the same core feelings of like loss love regret 
anger, vengeance, etc. Um, I want to see Marvel tap into that more throughout mm-hmm. continued works throughout the MCU. And I hope that that encourages other people to do the same thing with their storytelling, be more creative, be more experimental, be more hopeful. You know, mm. we talked about how this movie is really sort of a, a meditation on grief, but then we also flipped it to talk about how it has these solar punk hopeful elements to show us a future where we are one with, you know, the world and humanity. And we do that to try to become better people in general. So that's what I hope really comes out of this is that it becomes sort of a, a clarion call similar to the first movie, but in a different way for people to just get more creative. Yeah. Big, big thanks to Regine Gilbert, Jordan Green, Paul Webb, and of course, thanks to you for listening. Check out each of the guests through the links in the show notes, as well as links to other resources we mentioned in the episode at revisionpath.com. Revision Path is brought to you by Lunch, a multidisciplinary creative studio in Atlanta, Georgia. This podcast is created, hosted, and produced by me, Maurice Cherry, with engineering and editing by RJ Basilio. Our intro voiceover is by Music Man Dre, with intro and outro music by Yellow Speaker. Transcripts are provided by Brevity and Wit. So what did you think of the episode? Better yet, what do you think about Revision Path overall? You know, we love doing these sorts of bonus episodes. We might do more of these in the future. I mean, we've been doing this show now for almost 10 years, so there will definitely be plenty more opportunities for us to do more things like this. Again, have to give big thanks to the panelists. Thanks, of course, to Marvel Studios, Ryan Coogler, the whole crew that did Black Panther Wakanda Forever. Really was a great movie, and I'm glad that we had a chance to really sit down and chop it up and just talk about it all. And of course, we want to hear from you as well. So don't be a stranger. Hit us up on Twitter or Instagram. Just search for Revision Path, all one word. Or you know what? If you really love this, leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, or Spotify, and let us know that way. The more people you tell about the show, the bigger we become, and the further we can extend our reach to talk to Black designers, developers, artists, and other digital creatives from all over the world. As always, thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.